0: House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres.
1: Uh, joining us, Robert Wagner, and uh, thank you for joining us.
2: Oh, uh, Alan, I'm glad to be here. Thank you.
1: So, for for the listeners, that uh, before we get into uh, lucid dreams and dreams, um, uh, let's tell them who you are and kind of what you've been doing in the last few years.
2: Yeah. So, um, I'm a person who taught myself how to lucid dream um, or become consciously aware of dreaming while in the dream state, and I taught myself how to do this back in 1975 when I was a junior in high school, so I've been doing it for basically 40 years. Um, I graduated with a degree in psychology, always had a deep interest in dreaming, Um, even though I got involved in business. uh, I joined a a wonderful organization called the International Association for the Study of Dreams. And the the great thing about it, it's kind of an open association in as much as they allow uh, people to join, uh, kind of like the Astronomy Society, I believe. Because just like in astronomy, where an amateur might find a comet or do something incredible. You know, that's also kind of how the state of dreaming is as well, that even people who are um, amateurs and all can, can really even make some incredible contributions. So uh, I was fortunate to find that group uh, in 1995 and have been a member ever since. And uh, there I've held the uh, role of the president of the International Association for the Study of Dreams a few years ago. And I do want to say, though, that all my comments today are just my own personal opinion and don't, uh, don't reflect the IASD viewpoint.
1: Yeah, of course, of course. So you said you taught yourself. How did you do that? Or like what kind of what happened to, to where you thought you'd teach yourself how to do this?
2: You know, so I, I had a deep interest in dreams and just kind of trying to understand the nature of reality. And so there I was, a junior in high school, reading a book by Carlos Castaneda called Journey to Ixland. And so Carlos Castaneda, as many of you probably know, he was a UCLA graduate student who, back in the early 60s, wanted to study psychoactive plants like peyote and that kind of thing. And so he went down to Arizona to try to find a shamanic teacher and meets this gentleman, Don Juan, who agrees to teach him about plants. But in the process, and in this book, Journey to Excellent, Don Juan is teaching him a lot of just new ways of looking at the world and some different uh, techniques to achieve that. And one of them was this idea of becoming consciously aware in your dreams. And, and so I thought that was kind of interesting. You, know, I, you just never hear anyone talk about becoming consciously aware in your dreams. And so the, the way that Don Juan told Carlos he wanted him to achieve this was by finding his hands in the dream state and realizing it was a dream. And so there really weren't very many instructions, uh, Alan, so, so I just kind of made up my own because by that time I knew about hypnosis and the power of suggestion. So, so this is what I did. Each night before I'd go to sleep, I'd just look at the palm of my hands while telling myself, tonight in my dreams I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming night my dreams I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming and I would just stare at my hands repeating this over and over and over uh, for about five minutes and then I'd fall asleep and so when I'd wake up in the night I'd try to remember if I'd seen my hands in the dream. Anyway three nights of doing this before I went to sleep on the third night I'm walking through my high school hallway when all of a sudden just kaboom my hands popped right in front of my face and I, I couldn't believe it. I saw my hands, and I go, oh, my God, this is a dream. This is, this is you know, these guys over here that look like football players, they're dream figures. And this wall over here that I touched that felt so cool and nubby, you know, it's, it's made of dream stuff. And I went on and had an incredible lucid dream uh, that, that went on for a number of minutes afterwards. And, and after that, I was just totally hooked on this thing of lucid dreaming or becoming consciously aware in the dream state.
1: Right. Well, so so we don't get ahead. Um, Some people are not going to know what the difference is between a lucid dream and a regular dream.
2: Yeah, you know, and that's a good point. So, so, you know, if you can remember a dream from last night, um, like, um, okay, you found yourself in China, and uh, you had to get on an airplane, but you couldn't find your ticket, and they were holding the plane for you, but uh, you couldn't find your ticket. And so, you know, in a, in a regular dream, we just go along with whatever happens. We just we never ask ourselves, you know, what am I doing here in China or where am I flying to or any of that kind of thing. We just accept what the story is, go along with it, and we just kind of react to it. But in a lucid dream, you'd have this moment where suddenly it would occur to you, wait a second, what am I doing in China? I don't, I don't live in China. Oh, this must be a dream. So in a lucid dream, you get that moment of awareness where you suddenly realize that this can't be it's too impossible it's too strange and you realize i'm dreaming this is a dream and so once once you become lucidly aware then you can begin to direct the dream to some degree or direct your awareness within the dream so if you want to go flying you can go flying if you want to talk to dream figures and ask them questions you can do that you can fly through walls you can do just almost anything especially if you know how and so so that's how the how you differentiate a lucid dream from a regular dream lucid dream you're manipulating and influencing it you're deciding what you want to do regular dream you just go along with it no matter how crazy it is and uh and that's that's really the fundamental difference
1: so you can actually direct what's happening in the in the lucid dream um so Uh, Do do you kind of prep yourself ahead of time before you go to sleep and decide how you're going to manipulate the dream?
2: Well, a a lot of people have realized over the years that there's incredible stuff that you can do when you become lucidly aware. You know, uh, so I taught myself how to do this in 1975 and the scientific proof didn't come out until 1980. So in the first five years, I just kind of used it as a playground of the mind. I'd fly around. I'd go through walls. I'd have fun with dream figures and, and that kind of thing. But but later on, as I went deeper and deeper into it, I realized that in lucid dreams, you could, you know, for example, um, access inner creativity. You know, you're consciously aware there in the subconscious mind of dreaming, and so you can access your inner creativity. Later, I realized you could communicate with a larger awareness. You could even use it for things like emotional and physical healing, if you knew how. And so the beautiful thing about lucid dreaming, it's an equal opportunity tool. If you have an interest in electronics, you can use lucid dreaming to investigate that. If you have an interest in, you know, being a great musician, you can use lucid dreaming for that. And so oftentimes I would create ideas to achieve in the lucid dream during the wake state, uh, so I would kind of be able to think it all out because when you become consciously aware in the lucid dream, sometimes your thinking isn't as clear uh, necessarily as it is when you're awake. And so sometimes you would make up experiments in the lucid dream state that weren't really very valid ones. So it's much better to make it up when you're consciously aware in the waking state, and then you can remember what the experiment was and conduct it in the lucid dream. So so literally... Uh, Sometimes I'd have a plan to achieve when I would become lucid, but, but other times I'd just wing it and see what came.
1: Well, so, and, and you mentioned about um, scientific. So has lucid dreams been scientifically proven? Yeah,
2: you know, that's, that's the incredible thing. But uh, Back in 1980, it was either 1980 or 81, I think it was January of that year, um, I was at my um, university library at Drake University, And I saw the psychology today, and there was a story by this guy, Stephen LaBerge, who got his doctorate at Stanford, and he had provided evidence, the first really solid evidence for lucid dreaming. And, And this is how he did it. He realized that when you're consciously aware in the dream state, that the only part of your body that's basically movable at that time are your eyes. Because when we're dreaming, we have rapid eye movement, you know, our eyes kind of squiggle all around, uh, going back and forth and all over the place. And so he thought that if you decided to set up an experiment where you brought a lucid dreamer into the sleep lab, put the rapid eye movement polygraph pads on his eyes, and told the person, when you become consciously aware in the dream, move your eyes left or right eight times. And that'll be so unusual on the normal kind of random pattern of rapid eye movement that that it'll clearly show that you were consciously aware in the dream. And they also had other uh, little markers to show that the person was still in the dream state. And so anyway, uh, using himself as a subject, uh, back in February of 1978, he went to the Stanford Sleep Lab, became consciously aware, signaled with his eyes, and he did it. In 20 other subsequent trips to the uh, sleep lab. And so this, at first, people could barely believe this because lucid dreaming has been talked about for thousands of years. There's Buddhist traditions, shamanic traditions, Sufi tradition, Hindi traditions that all talk about lucid dreaming, becoming consciously aware in the dream state. But no one had ever been able to prove it. But when he had this, Irrefutable uh, rapid eye movement polygraph pad printout that showed consciously being aware moving your eyes signaling It it just truly was a, an epic achievement And so that came out in 1980, but I had taught myself how to do this in 1975 And so it was great for me to see this because now I could tell my friends You know that I wasn't joking and here's the scientific evidence behind it
1: wow and so and actually it's uh, it's used today isn't it um the uh, there's practical uses to lucid dreaming
2: right you know there are some practical uses so so they do some experiments you know to kind of understand the nature of the dream state you know so like um, become consciously aware in your dreams signal with your eyes and then in your mind start to do math problems and then they're measuring which part of your brain hemisphere is activated. And as it turns out, when you do math problems in the lucid dream state, the left hemisphere of your brain becomes more active. And if you do music in your lucid dream state, you know the right hemisphere of your brain becomes more active just like it does in, in waking reality. And so you can do experiments but you can also, you know, to understand the nature of dreaming, but you can also use it for for something that I think is really important and that's basically emotional healing. Uh, for example, some therapists have used lucid dreaming as a way to help people who have post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. So one of the common symptoms of PTSD is recurring nightmares. Um, you know, some somebody's either been to war or had some horrible event happen in their personal life, and it's almost like every night they'll have the same dream over and over of, the horrific event or some symbolic version of the horrific event. And so when you've learned to become consciously aware, the therapist teaches people, okay, this incident only occurs in your dream state now. It's a recurring thing. So the next time you see it getting ready to happen, when all the conditions are right, stop for a second and think, this is a dream, I'm dreaming this. And normally when the person becomes consciously aware in that recurring nightmare just once, Normally, the, the uh, recurring nightmares basically cease. Um, I remember I, I do a magazine called The Lucid Dreaming Experience and interviewed a woman who had been a mechanic for um, Boeing jets, uh, big you know, 757s and all. Right. And One time she was working on a Boeing 757 and it broke free from its moorings and rolled across her legs. And you you can imagine what that must have been like to see this giant airplane getting ready to roll across your leg. She said she was in the hospital for six and a half months. Uh, They had to amputate one of her legs. And when she got out of the hospital, she said she hated to fall asleep because every night she'd have recurring nightmares, you know, that something was chasing her, something was after her, and she'd wake up screaming, you know, in her bedroom. So she got a book on lucid dreaming and just happened to be reading it and realized that you know, maybe this could help. And so within the week or so, she was having that same recurring nightmare of being chased. And then it occurred to her, wait, wait a second, I, I only have one leg. How can I be chased? How can I be running like this? And then she realized she was lucid dreaming. She turned and faced the monster, and she just looked at it and said, bye, and took off flying. And she, she said the monster kind of got a befuddled look on its face as she, you know, she had changed the game. She had... Become lucidly aware in this recurring nightmare that had been going on for months, a- and after that, her nightmares basically cease. She, she said she was so extraordinarily happy just to have a decent night's sleep after that.
1: I bet. So you can actually change kind of how your future in a in a sense that way because you're you're um, you know changing what's going on in your dreams, which affects your life.
2: Exactly. You know, you, you can definitely influence your emotional life, and and I think this example shows that. But but the great thing, Alan, is that lucid dreamers themselves are taking this idea even further. I mean, they're getting beyond just dealing with recurring nightmares. Uh, You have lucid dreamers now who talk about how they overcome phobias in the lucid dream state. So, So think if in waking reality you have a phobia, a fear of heights, a fear of snakes, a fear of flying or whatever, in a lucid dream, if you use that lucid dream as kind of a virtual reality, you can you can begin to resolve that phobia in the lucid dream state. You can, like a woman, uh, told me she had a fear of flying. I encouraged her in her lucid dreams to go to a lucid dream airport, and if she felt okay and could deal with that, then go to the lucid dream airplane, knowing it's a dream airplane, but it feels real, it looks real get on the airplane, and if she felt okay, then let the airplane take off and see how that went. And so at any time, you know, she could stop what was happening and wake up whenever she wanted to. She told me later that she did this in five lucid dreams, and by the fifth lucid dream, her fear of flying was totally gone, and she booked a flight to come to a dream conference, and she told me she even booked a window seat so she could look out the window and See if it was like what she'd experienced in her in her lucid dreams, and she had no trouble at all. So, so you can see how people could use this for phobias, dealing with anxiety, taking care of you know maybe some bad habits and or some obsessive compulsive kind of things. You know this this area of using lucid dreams for emotional and psychological healing is, is in its infancy. You know, just fighting recurring nightmares is, is just the tip of the iceberg. There's all these other things that lucid dreamers are working on already and, and just finding incredible
0: success with.
1: Right, and that, that kind of brings me. Now, uh, you've written this new book, uh, The Lucid Dreaming Plain and Simple. Um, kind of tell people what that's about.
2: Yeah, so so Lucid Dreaming Plain and Simple, this is a book for beginners and intermediates to kind of teach them how to induce the lucid dream state. So in the book, we have about a dozen different techniques on how to induce lucid dreams. But anyone who's had a lucid dream knows that there's more to it than just becoming lucid. You also have to realize how to stabilize the lucid dream because as soon as you become lucidly aware, it's kind of like an astronaut being in outer space. I mean, you've got to know how to walk on the moon. You know, it's, it's not something that you would just normally, uh, as an earthbound person, be ready for. So that's the same when you become lucidly aware in the dream state. You have to know how to stabilize the lucid dream, how to respond to the lucid dream and dream figures, and and all of that so you can have a longer-lasting, more thoughtful lucid dream. And, and finally, we uh, show people how you can experiment in lucid dreams to you know, look at some of these ideas like, um, you know, promoting emotional health and and health altogether and other experiments you can do. And so so that's the whole book. We we want to give people a very rounded introduction to lucid dreams. We include all the new science about lucid dreams and there's just been some incredible science of lucid dreams lately on what the brain looks like when you're lucid dreaming and uh, how some scientists call it a unique um, hybrid state of consciousness because the dreaming part of the brain is active, but also parts of the cerebral cortex are active simultaneously. So so this book is really, you know, helping prepare the person because Louis Pasteur said chance favors the prepared mind. And if you read this book, you'll be be prepared to lucid dream.
1: Um, now you mentioned emotional issues, but you've also got a chapter in the book about the uh, healing of the physical body. So, how has that worked um, for for actually healing something in your in your in your physical, like your leg or arm?
2: Yeah, you know, it's it's a real fascinating area, and I, I think it's actually supported or implied by the science. So, so this gentleman uh, Stephen Leberge, who's, who's kind of the the pioneer of lucid dreaming on a scientific level, he, he did some other experiments as well, looking at how the body responds by lucid dream actions. So, for example, he'd have people in the sleep lab become lucidly aware, signal with their eyes, hey, I'm aware here in the dream. Then he would have them signal that they were ready to begin the experiment and then signal again with their eyes. And then, that, then they'd do the experiment, like one experiment might be flex your right arm in the lucid dream, then flex your left arm and back and forth ten times, and then signal with your eyes that you're ending the experiment. So imagine that. You're in a lucid dream, but in the lucid dream, you're flexing your right arm, even though it's a lucid dream arm, and then you flex your left arm in an alternating pattern. And so what they found is on a very small level, there were actually muscles being activated in your physical body in this right-left pattern. And so you begin to see that, oh, an action performed in a lucid dream, you know, affects your brain and causes your body to respond in kind. And he did experiments on breathing, respiration, singing and counting, and all that kind of thing while measuring the brain and body activity. And so, so the reason I'm bringing this all up is If you're a good lucid dreamer and you've read those studies and get that, then you get the idea, wait a second. If you decided to focus on your body, on your physical body, and try to heal it in a lucid dream, would that be possible? And and in this book, we give a number of examples of people who've done that kind of thing. So so here's an example. Uh, There's a woman named uh, Annie. Uh, She had these horrible plantar warts on her feet, you know, for, for... months, she'd been trying to visualize these things to go away. She, she met uh, a friend of mine who's a lucid dreamer who suggested that she try in a lucid dream to get rid of them. And so she became lucidly aware in a dream. She remembered that she wanted to heal her plantar wards. And so in, in the lucid dream, she created a ball of light between her hands, so a ball of healing light between her hands, put it over each of her dream feet, intending for them to be healed by this healing light, and then she woke up. And when she woke up in the morning, she looked at her feet, and overnight all of the plantar warts had turned black, and within 10 days they all fell off and they never returned.
0: Hmm. So
2: you can see here, (laughs) by focusing your intent and, and doing that, you could affect your physical body. And so so in this book, uh, we have a number of examples. And in in my first book, Uh, Lucid Dreaming, Gateway to the Inner Self, uh, there I also have about a dozen examples of people who have done it. But the amazing thing is, Alan, that every month in the magazine that I, uh, or every quarter in the magazine I co-edit, the lucid dreaming experience, you know, each issue, there's a person or two who will send in a lucid dream about how they healed something. You know, it might be a cold, it might be... Uh, rotator cuff injury. It might be, you know, some, just some action that they took to apparently heal it. And by that I mean that it, that oftentimes they wake up and the symptoms are like 80% gone. Like one guy had a, uh, had a, I think he had an infected tooth or an infected gum and, and his jaw just really hurt. He said in the lucid dream, he projected healing energy onto it, and when he woke up, he said it was like someone had given him two shots of Novocaine. He, he said basically the pain was all gone. It took the swelling to go down a, you know, another day or so, but he, he said the pain was gone, and, and it just shocked him that the mind-body interaction could be that powerful.
1: Wow. So have you had any um, follow-up investigation to see if... Uh if this actually happens, do they, do they actually heal themselves or is it just kind of a, a mind over matter sort of thing?
2: Well, you know, it's an interesting thing. Um, you know, I think the mind is involved in all healing. I, I mean, right. uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's it's part of part of the equation. And and so obviously, you know, like if your plantar works all turn black overnight, you know, obviously there's been some physical response. But, but the wonderful thing about this and the wonderful thing about lucid dreaming as a scientifically validated uh, state of being is that the medical establishment could easily do a lucid dream research. Uh, so you might get 20 people, let's say they all have planner wards, or 20 people who have some sort of uh, skin ailment that just can't be treated very successfully by Current technology or current pharmaceutical products. Right. So you teach half of them how to lucid dream. Teach half of them, you know, these ideas about how you go about healing in the lucid dream state, and then you let the other ten be the control group. And you come back six months or nine months or a year later, and and see which ones have made the changes. You know, that that would be one way of just doing a very simple experiment. But, but the amazing thing is, is that when When you look at pharmaceutical studies now, uh, they're having problem with the placebo effect that that when they give a placebo to people, you know so often it's almost as powerful as the drug they concocted. And in fact, I, I think I've read studies that the uh, placebo effect is actually getting bigger and bigger, you know, especially as people believe in the pharm- pharmaceutical industry more. That now the pharmaceutical industry is having a hard time beating the placebo effect. And so the placebo effect can make a profound change on the physical body just by that kind of belief and focus that, oh, I've taken something, and now this is going to get better. But, but when you're consciously aware in the dream state, um, one thing that the Buddhists say is that an action performed at that level is normally seven times more powerful than one performed at the waking level. And I think what they're trying to say is is that when you're consciously aware aware at a deep level in the unconscious, and so a deep level like lucid dreaming, that once you focus your intent, know how to focus it on healing, know the proper approach to take that we outline in our book, that then you're much more likely to have success than if you tried to do the same thing uh, at the waking level, because in the waking level, part of your mind is thinking, "Oh, I got to pick up the kids at four. I got to get the dinner going. Got to do this, that, and the other." Yeah, lots so of you have kind of a divided mind. Yeah. So so, so, so the wonderful thing is, you could explore this scientifically, and also you can explore it uh, uh, personally in, in your own in, in your own state. But I've had just so many emails from people who've told me they've had success with this, uh, but. There are there are tips about this that, that are important to follow, and, and like one of them is that unconscious mind is very specific regarding the word choice of your intent. So, so in, in the book, uh, my co-author Caroline McCready in London tells this story that she was suffering this horrible cold, and you know it was all stuffed up and had a runny nose, and but the thing that really bugged her was her sore throat. It just hurt so much. She became lucidly aware. She remembered she wanted to get rid of that. And so she announced that now my throat is being healed. I see my throat healed. She said when she woke up, it was like 90% of the pain had gone away. Her throat felt so much better, but she still had all the other symptoms of the cold, the runny nose, you know, and the sinuses and all that. And so she said she wished she had been more broad in her healing, And not just focus on the sore throat because the sore throat is the thing that immediately responded and uh and not the the entire cold because she had mentioned the sore throat and and failed to mention the entire cold
1: how does modern medicine react toward this like you know uh doctors and mainstream are they sort of um taking this on or are they just sort of not they're ignoring it
2: you know it's interesting um It's getting out there. I mean, conceptually, this is kind of a big idea for a lot of lucid dreamers. You know, most people, when they become aware in a lucid dream, they just play around. They go flying. They have fun. They talk to dream figures. They go through walls. You know, they they just, you know, just do whatever they want. And it never occurs to a lot of them. So there's kind of this conceptual barrier. I remember I'd get on the lucid dream forums when my first book, uh, Lucid Dreaming Gateway to the Inner Self, came out, and uh, I'd bring up some of these ideas like physical healing in a lucid dream. And people were horrified. You know, oh, you can't do that in a lucid dream. Oh, you know, that's impossible. Well, maybe maybe you could deal with an emotional issue, but a physical issue? Oh, you're crazy. And I, I told them, look, people are doing this. But there's that conceptual barrier. If you as a lucid dreamer have never considered this, if you as a, as a lucid dreamer have never thought about how to approach it in a successful manner, uh, like I outline uh, in, in these two books of mine, you know, you, you, you're not going to uh, really understand how to go about it. But think of that research by Stephen LeBurge. He asks to see lucidly aware would there be muscle movement in your right and left arms in an alternating pattern? And he found it. Would your brain hemispheres change if you were counting in a lucid dream versus when you were singing in a lucid dream? And it appeared. He even had people in a lucid dreams have lucid dream sex. And he had them all uh, done up with like 17 channels of physiological data you know, on respiration and heart rate and all sorts of uh, other channels that he talks about in his first book, Uh, Lucid Dreaming. And he said, as I recall, on 17 of the 19 physiological responses, it was just like the real thing, even though it occurred in the virtual reality of a lucid dream. So that's why I'm saying there's a profound impact that you can achieve in the lucid dream on your physical body. It's already been shown.
0: We at Wondery, creators of Dr. Death, Scamfluencers, and Over My Dead Body, go deeper into complex true crime stories to give you an inside look at the facts. And now we're launching the ultimate true crime fan destination, Exhibit C. It's truly criminal. Wondery's Exhibit C gives you the detective's lens of all of the evidence, taking you step by step through the twists and turns of each true crime case. Join the Exhibit C online community to access exclusive show merchandise, member only content and to hear directly from top criminal and social justice experts, witnesses and investigators as they take us beyond the evidence and into the case file. Join now by following Wondery Exhibit C on Facebook or find us on the web at WonderyExhibitC.com and listen to true crime podcasts on Wondery and Amazon Music. Exhibit C. It's truly criminal.
2: But medical doctors, in terms of uh, doing it yet, I, I don't think they've heard about it or got into the idea about it. I mean, I'm still having the time convincing lucid dreamers to give it a try, and, and so I. But I do think you know that sometime here in the next five years or something, somebody's going to begin to explore this.
1: Now, I also noticed in your book you have examples of some of the lucid dreamers that uh, didn't have uh, improved health results. Um, Is there something that they're doing, I don't want to say wrong, but is there something that's just not happening in in their dreams?
2: Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because I think you also have to look at the examples of failure in order to understand the examples of successes. I mean, that's just a common sense idea. And, And so when people started sending me, their examples where there was no physical improvement, it quickly became obvious what the difference was. So when you succeed, normally you act on your intent directly. So if you want to heal your foot of plantar warts, you create a ball of healing light and put it over your feet. Or you, you do something similar where you'd act directly. The people who failed they didn't act directly this is what they would do they would become lucidly aware and they would go to find the lucid dream doctor and and when they would find the lucid dream doctor they would ask the lucid dream doctor to help them and and one woman when she did this she asked the lucid dream doctor for help he said he said look it's friday it's 5 p.m you always come come here when i'm getting ready to leave And, and so she started yelling at him, you know, hey, you know, you're a doctor, you're supposed to help heal me. And he said, okay, why don't you start eating this? And she said, oh, no, I couldn't eat that. That upsets my stomach. And so he started walking away. Then she started talking to the lucid dream nurse. And the nurse suggested, well, maybe you should add this to your diet. And she said, oh, no, you know, I I don't care for that. And so it was interesting, even when suggestions were asked, our suggestions were offered... Uh, to the lucid dreamer, and she ignored him, she denied him, and she just went chasing and screaming at the lucid dream doctor. So instead of acting on herself, which any lucid dreamer could do, she sought out a doctor, and, and the doctor gave her advice, and she ignored the device advice because she didn't care for it. And, and you see that in the examples of failures. People not acting directly, seeing the, the locus of control, the sense of power, is invested in the other person or a special pill or, you know, a special drink or something like that. It's never invested within themselves. The people who have had success, they just took it on themselves like, hey, I'm sick of having this physical ailment, I'm going to directly project energy and healing intent on it. And those are the people who wake up with success. So, so you could really see just a marked difference in, in how people approach the idea of physical healing but you're right some people don't show any health improvement but normally when you look at how they went about it they just went about it the wrong way
1: so it's back to mind over matter in in, in that same way
2: well it's, it's it's about using the mind thoughtfully and and all that you see when you use it in a very thoughtful way and you know keep the control within yourself it works but if you invest the control, the power in the, the lucid dream doctor, the lucid dream pill, you know, you, you'll probably have no result at all.
1: Hmm. And so now uh, a lot of um, people are interested that listen to the show. They listen to our other show on paranormal and that. So I know this next section I want to talk about was lucid dreaming and interacting with the deceased. So um, how does that work?
2: Yeah, you know, this is really a fascinating area because what happens is people who have good dream recall and and everyone who wants to get on the lucid dreaming path, that's one of the first things you have to do is get into the habit of remembering two or three dreams a night if you can. But often what happens is in the dream state, all of a sudden you see grandma and it occurs to you, wait a second, grandma's been dead for 10 years now. And then if you're lucid, oriented, you'll go, wait a second, this is a dream. This is a lucid dream. You know, I realize grandma's dead. This must be a dream. So here's the interesting thing. At that point, you have a choice. Because it's your lucid dream and you can kind of direct it as you wish, some people go flying away. They'll fly away, have fun, do whatever they want. But other people will have an interest in what's grandma doing in my lucid dream and and then you can go and interact with that dream figure now that the funny thing is you have to decide am I dealing with a dream figure a symbolic projection of myself or am I dealing with you know the spiritual essence of somebody and 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 that's something that that, that I talk a little bit about in my books um, I, I'll give you an example if you'd like of, yeah, of, please. How yeah I resolve that yeah so, so so back in 97, uh, my father passed away, and uh, about three months after he passed away, I thought, okay, I'm going to go visit him in a lucid dream. I became lucidly aware. I went in search of my father, and it was really interesting. All of the dream figures told me that this was a horribly bad idea and and that it wasn't the time yet to go search out dad. And, and so I, I listened to the dream figures and, and had an interesting lucid dream. So about... Three years later then, one night I'm having a dream, and I see this ladder, and coming down the ladder is my father. And, and the first thing I started to do was laugh, because I knew it was a dream, but, but I, I realized that he had such a bad haircut. And, and I thought, this poor guy can't even get a good haircut in the after-death state. <laughs> but but, but, but as, as I thought about that, it occurred to me, well, wait a second, is this my father as a spiritual being who's been passed away for a few years? Or is this my father, just a projection, just a dream figure, a symbolic projection of myself? And, and that's when I realized that there's a way of resolving this. So, so we greeted each other. And, and then I said to my dad, I said, so, Dad, um, you're from the land of the dead. Wouldn't you think Mom's going to pass away? And he looked at me really seriously, and he said, oh, probably in two to six years. And so then I asked, of what? What will she pass away of? And he said, a heart condition. And that really surprised me because my mom had never, ever had any heart problems. And then I asked him a couple more questions. And finally, he told me to be quiet because he had come to tell me things. And he told me some things that had to do with the family and things to be on the watch for. So anyway, when I woke up, you know, I wrote down the lucid dream. And I thought, well, I have to wait two years to see if this was really my father or not. Twenty-three months later, almost two years exactly my mom went to the hospital and almost died of a heart condition. Hmm. And then, I think it was about three years after that, in this two to six year time period that my father had said was a dangerous time period, she went to the hospital and almost died again, and this time she was taking a prescription drug that was later shown to damage the heart, and she almost died again, but she made it through that one. So, so in any case, when you have that kind of interaction, um, so I'm not saying every deceased person just naturally knows the future, but when you ask the question, you know, that has to do with family matters, uh, they're probably more likely to have some insight into family matters. You know, you could ask them something like, "What was the name of your first girlfriend when you were in high school?" or something like that, and then you could ask the surviving aunts and uncles or whomever, you know, "This is what I heard in the lucid dream. Is that true?" And, and, and they all might start laughing because, of course, you know, they, you got the right answer. But, but, but that's how interesting this issue is. You become lucidly aware oftentimes when you see a deceased person.
1: So so you're thinking that the, you're actually contacting the deceased when you have the lucid dream then?
2: Well, I, I think there's a way, you know, again, that you can determine whether it's a, just a symbolic projection you know, kind of like a cast of characters, like Hollywood, you know, the thousand cast of characters, or, or if it's truly the person. Um, you know, for example, if, if you were having a dream that it was Thanksgiving and all of a sudden in the corner you saw Grandma, you know, Grandma might be there because you're having a dream about Thanksgiving and she's associated with Thanksgiving because she always cooked up Thanksgiving for everybody. I mean, there it might be a projection. And since, but when you're lucidly aware, you have the capacity to talk to dream figures and see how intelligent, responsive, and aware they are. Sometimes when you're lucidly aware, you'll go up to a dream figure and you'll ask it a question and it'll just turn, turn away and walk off. Sometimes it'll respond with gibberish. But other times, like you go up to a dream figure and you say, hey, do you know I'm dreaming you? And the dream figure will respond, "How do you know I'm not dreaming you?" <laughs> and, and one time, a lucid dreamer had this interchange where she went up and said, "Hey, do you know I'm dreaming you?" And the dream figure responded, "How do you know I'm not dreaming you?" And so then the lucid dream figure, lucid dreamer, thought, "Okay, well look, I can fly." And then the dream figure said, "Well look, I can fly too," and started flying. And then the dream lucid dreamer said, "Well look, I can do this," and the dream figure said, "Well, look, I can do that as well." So what you realize is there's this whole range of dream figures. Some of them seem hollow or empty. I mean, I think these are truly projections of your mind. But occasionally, especially when you're dealing with deceased dream figures, they'll seem much more consciously aware. They'll look you in the eye. If you ask them an intelligent question, they'll give you an intelligent response. But if they don't, then they're probably just a product of your subconscious mind. Hmm.
1: So, is there a place that you search for them? Like when you're when you're in the dream and you're 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 being a lucid dreamer, is there a place you search, or you just think of them and they come up? Does um, that mean that they're in a place after death? You know,
2: you know th- th- this is this is a really interesting, uh, um, really interesting set of questions because. In my first book, Lucid Dreaming, Gateway to the Inner Self, which is really a book for advanced lucid dreamers, um, I have an entire chapter on interacting with the deceased in lucid dreams. And a a good friend of mine, who's a really experienced lucid dreamer, at Kellogg, he decided to kind of explore this question. So when he'd become, so he he would know somebody who had passed over, and he'd know, know him and he would ask the family, how would you feel if in a lucid dream I tried to contact your deceased relative? Normally, the family was really intrigued by this idea. He'd become lucidly aware. I remember in one particular case, he became lucidly aware and remembered that he wanted to find, let's say, Mr. Smith. And so he announced that he wanted to find Mr. Smith, and all of a sudden, a guide appeared and said the guide would help him find Mr. Smith. And so he started following the guide, but the guide you know, kept turning here and turning there. And as Ed followed him, it, it just became too much and, and the lucid dream collapsed. Well, a few nights later, he became lucidly aware again and remembered his, his interest in finding Mr. Smith. And who's there? It's the guide from the first lucid dream. And so the guide said, I'll take you there. And so this time, I think Ed convinced him to make it quick so he could maintain his lucid awareness. He gets there, he finds Mr. Smith, but he doesn't find Mr. Smith, you know, the 80-year-old guy. He finds Mr. Smith at age 35, you know, and at that time he has bushy, curly hair and big big sunglasses, you know, like people used to wear, you know, back in the 70s and and a real heavy-duty tan. And, And he's basically surrounded by all the stuff that he loved when he was a younger guy. And he and Ed have a conversation and you know, Ed's paying attention to the questions he's asking in their comments and all, and Ed wakes up. Ed says he writes down the entire lucid dream, he presents it to the family, and the family cracks up. They tell Ed, oh, you don't, you don't know this because you only knew him when he was 70 or 80, but when he was a young guy, he used to get his hair permed, and he had this you know, kind of big, bushy fro, and also he had a great suntan, and he had these giant you know, sunglasses, just like you ex- described. And oh, and all that stuff that was on his desk. He used to play around with that stuff when he was a young guy. He had an incredible fascination, you know, with whatever it was. And so it's interesting. You could because lucid dreamers can experiment in a lucid dream, you could actually conduct a parapsychological experiment to investigate this kind of thing. Have lucid dreamers go in search of the deceased or and learn things about them and wake up and then have them validated just like Ed did in this particular case. It's really fascinating this issue of interacting with the deceased in a lucid dream because obviously if you talk to 100 people who pay attention to their dreams when they have a loved one pass away oftentimes a lot of them will have dreams before that occurs that the loved one's going to pass away and then after the loved one passes away They'll just have normal dreams in which the deceased comes and says, you know, goodbye, or I'm doing fine, or, or you know, tell mother to remember to do X, Y, Z, or, or whatever it is. You know, that that's a very common. Uh, that kind of visitation dream is very common in just regular dream literature. But the beautiful thing about a lucid dream, you're aware, you know that this is a dream. And then you can have a face-to-face conversation and sometimes learn things that there's no way that your mind uh, ever knew.
1: Wow, that's, that's pretty amazing, actually. Um, pretty interested in that. And uh, what can you tell us about um, searching or finding people that are alive, like doing shared dreams, both dreaming of each other and people that don't even know each other that do that?
2: Yeah, you know, that, that's an interesting area. I, I don't bring it up in my uh, in this newest book, uh, Lucid Dreaming, Plain and Simple, uh, which is more for beginner and intermediate lucid dreamers. In my first book, Lucid Dreaming, Gateway to the Inner Self, I have a chapter on mutual uh, interactions in the dream state. And uh, I, I have one funny one that, that occurred to me. Um, so, so one night I'm lucidly aware, I'm sitting in a restaurant just a just amazed at the detail. I mean you know there's salt and pepper shakers on the restaurant table and all this just everything that you'd expect to find uh, in, a, uh, in a normal restaurant. And, and so all of a sudden uh, a friend of mine who I know from the International Association for the Study of Dreams, uh, her name is Mo, she walks in the door and and I run up to her and I go Mo this is a dream. We're, we're dreaming this. This is a lucid dream. But, but it's really interesting, Alan. She, she had this she had this look on her face like uh, she herself was having a dream. She, Like her eyes were moving like she was having rapid eye movement, and her head was kind of swaying back and forth like she was involved in some other dream. And so I thought, oh, I have to convince her to, to be aware in my dream. And so I grabbed her around the waist, and I started levitating. And, and I said... I said, look, Mo, we're levitating. This is a dream. We're having a lucid dream. But still, she had that thing of her eyes moving back and forth, you know, kind of looked like a drunken sailor or something like that. And and so at that point, I decided to do something. I shoved my hand into a peace sign and I just shoved it in her face and I said, Mo, do you see this peace sign? You can use it as a symbol to help you become lucidly aware whenever you want. And and then I woke up. And and so in the morning, uh, you know, I thought, well you know, I'll see if Mo calls me or sends me an email. She didn't do any of that. And so I, I kind of wondered, you know, I decided not to bring it up to her and just kind of let it be. So three months later, I'm out in the Bay Area where, where Mo lives. And uh, I, I had some free time on my business trip. And so I called her up and asked her if she wanted to meet for lunch. And, and so we agreed to meet in Burlingame, California. I was standing there outside of the restaurant. So this is waking reality. and. Here comes Mo walking up the sidewalk, and right when she gets to me, she puts her fingers in a peace sign and shoves it in my face, just like I had done in the lucid dream to her. And and I I asked her, I I said, Mo, why are you doing that? And and she looked at me and she said, I don't know, I just felt like it. So so in, in this kind of example, you see that an action that I did, lucidly aware to her in a dream, three months later she does to me, in, in waking reality and, and just, you know, basically shows me that on some level, whether consciously or subconsciously, on some level, she picked up that information.
1: Wow. That's pretty amazing. How, how do you explain all that sort of, like, uh, do you think we're all connected in some way?
2: You know, for, for me, that's what I think is going on, that, that we exist within an interconnected oneness. That, to me, that's the only way of explaining it. And sometimes, when we're in the dream state, we're in this state where time and space really have no meaning. So, so think of an average dream. You know, in an average dream, you know, you might be in your kindergarten classroom with your current office mates. You know, talking to, you know, an astronaut or something. I mean, time and space just don't have have that same sort of linear function. That they seem to have in in physical reality, and so when you're lucidly aware, you can begin to explore time and space. And I think because of this kind of interconnected oneness, you know, whether you want to call it a collective unconscious or a universal mind or a matrix or whatever, that 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 on some level we're connected. And in lucid dreams, we can experiment with this and play around with it. Hmm.
1: And so now, when people have bad dreams or nightmares and uh, can they use this to kind of control them or stop
2: them? Yeah, you know, so so oftentimes, you know, a, a bad dream is really a dream that's waiting for a proper resolution. You know, it's waiting for some response to resolve it and, and then, then that kind of bad dream, especially if it's a recurring dream, will come to a conclusion. But Carl Jung came up with the idea that in some dreams, uh, we were dealing with the shadow. And so the, sh- the shadow, as he thought about it, were the denied, ignored, repressed parts of ourself that, that we often didn't want to face, and that's why it was in the shadow's position, which is normally behind us, you know. So when you're being chased by the boogeyman, it's behind you. You, you probably don't even look at it. You just know in your mind, oh, I'm being chased by the boogeyman, but that's part of that bad dream but the interesting thing is when you have lucid dreamers who become consciously aware like like i remember one woman uh, her therapist had taught her how to become lucidly aware because she was being chased by three women in this recurring dream and it was driving her crazy so she became lucidly aware she turned and faced the three pursuers and she asked them you know who are you why are you chasing me And, and when she did that in her lucid dream the three chasers said, oh, we're your anxieties. You call us to you. And, and so, so you could see how you know, this kind of bad dream that had been throughout her life was just basically her anxiety chasing her. And if she wanted to be rid of her anxiety, she needed to work with her therapist to you know, overcome her anxiety. And so, so oftentimes these bad dreams, you know, it's just something that needs our attention. It needs to be resolved. It's a shadow issue. And the beautiful thing, once you resolve it, and I've seen this happen in lucid dreams, is oftentimes the best way in a lucid dream of interacting with a negative figure or an angry, destructive figure um, is just to project love and compassion and understanding from your heart. And so, like, imagine this one time I saw a black Rottweiler in my lucid dream. It's snarling at me, it looks like it's going to attack me. But then I thought, you know, I'm just going to project love and compassion on it. And as I did, it began to shrink down. And as it shrank down, I, I think finally it became a dachshund like we had when I was a kid, you know, a little wiener dog. And I, and I picked it up and took it flying around the uh, dreamscape. And so so you realize that in a lucid dream, y- you can resolve some of this inner emotional energy, you know. it. You know, it might be your fear of failure. It might be, you know, your anger at, you know, something that happened to you in your your life. But it's being projected out there by your mind in the dream state. And if you become lucidly aware, you finally have a chance where you can resolve it. And I've seen people resolve this and just gain incredible energy back once they resolve these issues.
1: Yeah. Is there some sort of steps that people should take, um, when they're starting to do this or starting to dream and and be aware, like uh, um, like you said, to write down to remember and stuff, is there something in particular they should do?
2: Right. Yeah. So, so the first thing, of course, is is becoming aware of your dreams because you're you're not going to become a lucid dreamer if you don't have pretty good dream recall. And so, keeping a dream journal by your bed. Uh, sometimes in the middle of the night when I wake up, I don't write out the entire dream. What I do instead is I'll just write down a few notes so in the morning I can remember what the dream was about. And sometimes people uh, who sleep by themselves will use a voice-activated recorder or are talking to their cell phone or whatever and, and just uh, you know, get it down that way. But by remembering your dreams, you have a much greater chance of remembering your lucid dreams. Then for a lot of people, it's taking one of these techniques. So like in our, our book, there's about a dozen techniques on how to become lucidly aware and using one of these techniques, normally I encourage people to use them for three or four weeks. You know, you have to use it for three or four weeks in order to really get it. But then, as soon as you become lucidly aware, I encourage people kind of a four-step process. The first thing you gotta do is modulate your emotions. Normally people get so excited when they become lucidly aware that if they get too excited, they just automatically pop out, and so So you can't be too excited. You've got to look at your hands to stabilize the dream, look at the ground to stabilize your dream, tell yourself to calm down, because if you get too excited, you'll normally pop out. Then I encourage people to enhance their awareness. So you might want to rub your hands together in the lucid dream to kind of activate that kinesthetic physical sense in the lucid dream, or touch something to kind of ground yourself in the lucid dream. Uh, You might want to shout out, just like some people do with OBEs and astral projection, they'll shout out greater clarity now or more awareness now. And and what's funny, in a lucid dream when you shout that out, oftentimes what will happen, it's like somebody turns up the light in the lucid dream. All of a sudden, you know, if it was like at 30 watts, now it's at 80 watts is when you shout out greater clarity now. And so once you modulate your emotions, kind of enhance your awareness, then the really important thing, and I give a lot of tips in my book, how to maintain your focus. Because just because you're aware of the lucid dream doesn't mean you're going to stay in that steady state you know, for the next 10 minutes. You have to be sure that you don't get re-entranced by the dream and get just return to regular dreaming. Because as you begin to interact with the dream, it can become so interesting and fascinating that if you forget that, that it's a lucid dream, you'll just return to regular dreaming. So on all of that, we give lots of tips and techniques to help people become lucid, stabilize that lucid dream, and then also explore and experiment in in some of these more profound areas.
1: Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, Just got your recent book, and I uh, highly recommend it, and now I'm very interested in your first book. Um, (laughs) um, So let's talk about um, how people can uh, get a hold of you and and learn more about uh, any of the... speaking events or any workshops or anything you've got going on?
2: Yeah, so so my uh, main book website is lucidadvice.com so that's one word, lucidadvice.com and, and there they can read about the books uh, there's even a place where people can submit questions and I'll respond to especially if they're uh, about lucid dreams I, I just don't want to respond about any question, but lucid dreams I'll respond to and then I also uh, have a online magazine called the Lucid Dreaming Experience that I've been co editing for wow fifteen years now. A good friend of mine create this quarterly magazine, The Lucid Dreaming Experience. Basically in every issue I interview an experienced lucid dreamer because it's so fascinating. You know, everyone has their different focus. Some people use lucid dreaming to become better artists. Some people use lucid dreaming, you know, to explore the nature of space and time. Some people use it you know, to heal themselves or their emotional self. And, and so I interview people, there's articles, there's readers submitted Lucid Dreams, and, and it's really a fascinating magazine. But if you go to luciddreammagazine.com, uh, you, can, you can see all the incredible Lucid Dreams there and, and also sign up if you want to get that magazine. But so lucidadvice.com, that's where you can learn about the books. And of course you can find the books on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, the Apple iTunes store and at your local uh, bookseller if you just ask for Lucid Dreaming Books by Robert Wagoner. Uh, Finally, uh, I did want to mention that uh, uh, here in March uh, let me see when that will be March 20th um, 2015 I'll be at the East West Bookshop in Mountain View, California and on Friday I'll give a free talk And then on Saturday, I'll have a workshop for beginners. And on Sunday, a workshop for advanced people. And the workshops, of course, cost something. Then April 25th, I'll be in New York City uh, with the International Association for the Study of Dreams, giving a talk. And then on April 26th, I'll be in New York City with Evolver, Evolver Evolver.net or Evolver.com is having me do a workshop. And then in May, I'll be in Seattle, uh, giving some talks at Evergreen State College and uh, University of Washington Bothell. And so the beautiful thing about lucid dreaming has been scientifically validated, that you have to really open up your mind and conceptually explore. And and that's that's why I wrote a book, is because I'd been lucid dreaming for 35, 40 years when I started to write books. And I just felt like by that time, I had a lot of experience and could help this new generation of lucid dreamers Really get the most possible out of it.
1: Fantastic. We'll also have all of that um, linked to our website and uh, also post a link to uh, purchase your book. Um, it's been a pleasure and I uh, hope to have you back again.
2: Okay, it's been a lot of fun too, and I'll tell you, lucid dreaming is a revolutionary psychological tool. You know, the, the scientific evidence came out in 1980, but We're getting to Lucid Dreaming 2.0 now where people are starting to figure out how you can really use this not only to influence and better your life but also explore the nature of consciousness, the nature of the mind, the nature of the psyche. And so I'm really excited to be part of this Lucid Dreaming revolution.
1: Fantastic. Thank you very much.
0: You can listen to us anytime, anywhere now. Download our free app now for the iPhone and iPad. Look for the Warren Exchange or House of Mystery app at the Apple App Store today. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of the Z-Talk Radio Network.